You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. This is episode 16 of The Brandy Show. Glad you could join us. Well, maybe, maybe not, because today we're going to go over the Michigan-Ohio State game, the fallout. Some negativity about this is outstanding and astounding at the same time. And I'm going to take on all that negativity, so stay tuned. We'll be talking with Detroit News top football mind and writer Angelique Changelis. She'll join us for her take on Michigan and Ohio State. And we'll look at the college football bowl conference title games and who makes the top four playoff positions. Kind of an interesting thing because that will all come out this coming weekend. There was a turkey for Thanksgiving. Did you have any? Well, the Lions sure did. They had one right down at Ford Field. And for me, it was the first time in over 30 years that I wasn't there. I wasn't at the Thanksgiving Day game. Uh, we'll talk about that and what I did on Thanksgiving. Our trivia too deep is the Michigan offense that last beat Ohio State in Columbus. That was 18 years ago in the year 2000. Our facts, legends, and lore will go to the Cube just outside West Quad in Ann Arbor and tell you the legend about the Cube. And our recipe this week is holiday sausage rounds. They're really good. And you can put them in the freezer and get them out when you want if you've got some people over and you want to have a little hors d'oeuvre. These are great for that purpose. And we'll get to that uh, right near the end of the show. In the meantime, let's talk about Michigan and Ohio State. First things first, congratulations to all the great players at Michigan who were named to the Big Ten, all Big Ten team. Devin Bush, for instance. He was named the Defensive Player of the Year in the conference and the best linebacker. Good job for Devin Bush. And Devin Bush said he will play in the Wolverines bowl game. And that was in direct conflict with, not a conflict, but Rashawn Gary, who earlier this week said he's not going to go um, uh, and play in the bowl game because instead he's going to turn professional. So Rashawn Gary is basically done as his career at the University of Michigan, and he won't play in the bowl game, and he will get himself ready for the NFL draft. The All-Big Ten team made up with Chance, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, Devin Bush, David Long, and LaVert Hill, all of them first-teamers. Congratulations to all of those. And again, the Wolverines have a share of the Big Ten Eastern Division Championship. But you would think, based on the Ohio State 62-39 win, that they didn't win anything this year. And I just am sick and tired of the negativity coming out about Jim Harbaugh and this football team. So before we get into the fallout and all the critics and, and me taking on those critics, I just want to give you my take on the game. I, first of all, I never imagined that this would happen to the Michigan defense. It was a gut shot. And i got to tell you, I never saw it coming. And the key thing was their third downs. Uh, Michigan was the best in the country at stopping third downs, and yet Ohio State was able to make first downs on third and longs and keep drives alive. Also, Michigan's number one pass efficiency defense in the country, and yet Ohio State for, threw for over 300 yards. And, and that's just one of those things that why did that happen? There is no explanation. I think the real key to it is it's about speed. Ohio State give the devil their due, Okay. They had really good game plans set up offensively for Michigan, and it was predicated on speed. Chris Olave, uh, K.J. Hill, uh, Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell, and Patrick McLaurin, all of them, all of them were fast. Maybe the fastest guys on the field. And Michigan plays man-to-man defense. They know that. That's what Don Brown does. It has been successful all season long. But if you play man-to-man, sometimes you live by it. Same thing you've heard people say about the Blitz. If you live by the Blitz, you can die by the Blitz and give up big plays. But what Ohio State did, and it's all about matchups, they matched up their speed guys, 
Alave, Hill, Dixon, Campbell, McLaurin, all those guys faster than the Michigan defense. Maybe two guys on the Michigan defense can run with those guys. The rest of them can't. They're all fast. Put them all on the field at the same time. And then they found the matchup they wanted, and it was in a crossing route where they forced a man to run with somebody for a length of time. And then they threw the ball, and he had a two- or three-step lead on that person when he caught it, and then that speed took over, and off they went. So give OSU credit. They had a wonderful game plan, and they put their speed to advantage. And it's no different than what Michigan did. So let's not hear this out-coaching thing. It was about finding a mismatch. Well, You know what? Michigan found a mismatch. They had Nico Collins on Kendall Sheffield, who is their cornerback. Sheffield's six foot. Nico's six four. There's an advantage in height. And two touchdown passes were fade routes using Nico Collins' height to their advantage in a physical matchup, and Nico caught a pair of scores against Ohio State. So that matchup worked in Michigan's favor. The other thing that was disappointing about the Michigan game and the defense against Ohio State was the fact that they could not rush the passer or did not rush the passer. And again, that was a strength for Ohio, for Michigan. They rushed the passer all year long. They put the quarterback in a lot of tough positions. And against Ohio State, their offensive line did a better job. They blocked our defensive front. And they were able to give Haskins time to throw the football. And when he threw the football, guess what? He was accurate. And he set the record in the Big Ten with over 40 touchdown passes this year. Over 40 touchdown passes, just incredible. So the lack of pressure and the speed and the matchups that Ohio State exploited, that kind of explains why they were able to score the kind of points they did. Now, offensively, Michigan did not play well either. And actually, they didn't play well on either side of the ball. They dropped passes. Uh, When receivers were open, their passes were a little bit short, forced the receiver to come back to catch them instead of hitting him in stride and getting more yards after the pass. Plus. The pass pressure by the offensive line, they couldn't block Ohio State's defensive front. And Shea Patterson found himself in a lot of difficult situations because he couldn't have time to throw. He had to bail out of the pocket and throw on the run. With you, Without pass protection, you're going to have problems. And Michigan didn't have that pass protection. When they did, Shea threw the ball okay, and they did well. And Michigan moved the football. They scored 39 points. Let's remember that. They scored 39 points, and unlike Ohio State, they did not get a defensive or a special teams touchdown. So 39 points all by the offense, really not bad, uh, but Ohio State scored 62. And I think that Michigan did utilize their matchups, what they had, but Ohio State had done such a good job of getting their matchups exploited and building a lead, I think, That was the whole difference in the game, and Michigan had to play uphill the rest of the day. Now, how do you characterize it? Uh, You know, everybody's out there saying you got out coached. Jim Harbaugh did by Urban Meyer. Uh, More than anything, I would say that they had an offensive game plan that really worked, and they executed extremely well. And Michigan did not play well. They played poorly, probably their poorest game of the year. You put the two of those things together, a very talented Ohio State team and a Michigan team that's very talented and could, could play with Ohio State probably any other Saturday of the week, but did not play well. And that's what you get. You get a game that you saw. And I'm not an apologist. Look, I'm disappointed. It was a gut shot. I hated it. I'm really mad about it. But you know what? That happens. It happens in college football. And ask Penn State. They got blown out by Michigan. Ask Wisconsin. They got blown out by Michigan. Okay? So it's not like Michigan wasn't on the other end of this somewhere down the road. Penn State didn't play well. Wisconsin didn't play well. Michigan State didn't play well. You can say all that stuff, but yet Michigan won those games. Nobody's complaining about the coaching in those. And I think that Michigan just didn't play well. You can't be 100% and play well week in and week out. The great teams can't. Alabama, for instance, they can out-talent a lot of people, and every week they blow somebody out. But ask Ohio State. They went to Purdue and got their butt handed to them, okay? So let's not jump craziness and go nuts on Michigan because of this game. Jim Harbaugh can coach. Those people out there talking about getting rid of him are idiots. This guy, in three of the four years he's been at Michigan, has won 10 games. Now, 99% of the programs in America would absolutely love that. But apparently in Michigan, that's not good enough. 
Well, Jim Harbaugh's got this going in the right direction. Two of the four years, up until the eighth or ninth game of the season, he's been in the conversation of getting in the Final Four playoffs. Michigan is back on the map. If you guys think that's not the case, then you're kidding yourself. They're not only back on the map, but they are a player nationally. And thanks to Jim Harbaugh, they will stay there. Now, here's the other thing I wanted to get into today, and it's about the fallout. And it's about the fallout from the newspaper writers. I looked at a lot of the newspaper articles on the day after the game, okay? And I thought to myself, my God, these guys don't get it, do they? They just don't get it. I'm going to start here with the Detroit Free Press on Sunday, and it was Jeff Seidel. First things first, he sat with these three questions with Jeff Seidel, and it was called the Blitz. And the last question is, can Michigan bounce back at a bowl game? Okay, now this is Seidel's answer. I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter. The game was all that mattered, Ohio State game. Sure, the Wolverines will use the extra practices to improve, to take a second look at young players, to kickstart 2019 fine. But right now, the thought that the next game is a bowl game and not the Big Ten Championship is beyond a disappointment and a letdown. I can't believe that. This is why, in my opinion, a guy like Seidel, who writes this, loses all credibility in my mind, as a guy that understands sports. I'm sorry it doesn't matter, a bowl game. I'm sorry it doesn't matter. Let me just say something. When I was a kid and I was playing Kiwanis Little League Baseball, you know what the best day of the week was and what mattered to me the most was game day. I was able to put on my little T-shirt with the Kiwanis logo on the back and white socks on the front, and I had a game to play. Do you know how important that was to me? And now this guy suggests that a game for a University of Michigan senior or anybody that have the opportunity to put the game uniform on and the winged helmet and go play on national television doesn't matter? Then Jeff Seidel doesn't get what athletics is all about. It's about competition. It's about dressing up in your game uniform on game day and competing against somebody else. That gets your blood pumping. And to suggest it doesn't matter? I'm sorry, but Mr. Seidel, you are so far off base, you shouldn't be writing sports because you don't get it. I had this conversation once with the late Drew Sharp. A lot of you might know Drew. He was a, a writer for the Free Press, and, I mean, Drew was a guy that was very negative, and, and he never found good in anything. But you know what? It, it worked, and he was a great writer, and he and I were friends, and I liked him. And we always argued this point. But he came out with an article once, and it was about Michigan basketball. And it was when Michigan basketball was struggling. And they were getting an invitation to the NIT, not the NCAA. And he said in an article, you know, they shouldn't go. It's beneath Michigan to go to the NIT. And I said, Drew, you just don't get it, do you? You lose all credibility with me because it's about competing. It's about putting that game uniform on and competing again. If there's a team out there like Rutgers who's not going anywhere, they played Michigan State right to the bitter end in their last game because they put on the uniform. They put on the helmet. They competed. And that's what it's about. It's about competition. It's about having that opportunity to put on that game uniform, put on that helmet, and go out and play the game that you love to play and compete to win against someone else who's competing against you. Now, that to me is huge. And that's why Seidel's comments absolutely mean nothing to me. And I think it loses his credibility completely. Because he doesn't get what athletics is all about. Now, here's another Seidel comment. And it's about the game, the Michigan Ohio State game. He says, a failure to grab what was sitting there, just waiting to be taken. The Wolverines had a chance to get the Big Ten championship game, the college football playoff. It was in, within reach, and they blew it. That I don't have a problem with that. He's correct. But this is the next paragraph. Yes, the finished, the Wolverines finished with a 10-2 record. And if that is how you view success, then that's your prerogative. To me, this season should be viewed as a failure. To me, this season should be viewed as a failure. Mr. Seidel wrote this, okay? So, 
With that logic, okay, with that logic, Michigan could have gone 0-11 but beaten Ohio State and now the season's a success? I'm sorry, but that's ridiculous. You suggest that when they played Michigan State and it was a big game at the time, that wasn't a big deal? Or when they beat Wisconsin, that was a big game at the time? That's a big deal. And Penn State, same thing. Now you're telling me, just because of this loss against Ohio State, that none of that mattered? Well, you don't get it. It mattered. It mattered to those kids. And it matters to those kids when they play next and get the opportunity to put the game uniform on. And until you get that and understand that, somebody ought to take your pen away. Somebody ought to take your computer away. Because you're not doing the sports fan any favors by writing that. Sure, it's an opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. I am entitled with this podcast, to tell you you're dead wrong. If you have the right to say that, I've got the right on this end to take you to task. And that's what I'm doing. Now, here's some other stuff that was written, and I believe this stuff is good reporting. This is good newspaper stuff. From Nick Baumgartner, uh, the article after the game. It's about Harbaugh. He writes, asked afterward whether he was aware the 62 points surrendered were the most ever by a Michigan team in the rivalry. Harbaugh nodded. I believe I did. Yes. They played really well. And Michigan did not. It had very little to do about where it goes from here. Harbaugh's Wolverines came here with everything in line two years ago, wound up an inch short in double overtime. On Saturday, that inch turned into a mile. The Buckeyes entered this game with 10 wins, but appeared on shaky ground after losing, almost losing to Maryland last week, struggling to run the ball all season, and a sputtering defense against everyone. Ohio State played its best game of the year on the biggest stage, and Michigan played its worst. Now, that's from Nick Baumgartner. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, that's, that's accurate, uh, and I think a, a good analysis of, of what went on. But to suggest that game didn't matter? That none of the other games mattered? And that going to a bowl doesn't matter? Come on. Here's another, what I think is a good column uh, and how they view the game. It's an opinion piece again, but it's by Sean Windsor. And, and here's the deal. It says, so where does Jim Harbaugh go from here? Aside from continuing to tweak his offensive approach, he needs to keep pushing for top-end talent on the edges to bring in more speed. It's where the game is headed and where it already is at the highest level. Harbaugh deserves credit for reworking part of his staff this offseason and for making a commitment to strengthen his team. He did. And if U of M wins its bowl game next month, he'll finish with a tidy 11-2 record. That's not bad, but it's also not what he was hired to do. I get it. I agree with it. That's fine. That's an opinion piece. But the other stuff, in my opinion, that Seidel wrote, is completely off the mark. And again, that writer, in my opinion, Jeff Seidel, loses complete credibility based on what he wrote. Now, here's the other thing. Comments on social media are going nuts. I have been told because I'm doing this podcast and I'm involved in Facebook now that one of the important things that I need to do is engage with those people who engage with me. So therefore, I thought, I guess I'll take this opportunity on my podcast to engage. So I've reprinted a couple of comments that were sent to me in my Facebook page. Here's one of them that I love, and it's from Greg. I'm not going to give you the last names on any of these because this is what I think a great fan is. This was from Greg, and he said to me, as much as yesterday sucked for all of us watching, it had to be thousands of times worse for the coaches, players, and you, Brandy and Dan, as you called the game. The people calling for Coach Harbaugh's head baffle me. Who would they suggest replace him? He's not only a Michigan man, but he's a great leader, motivator, recruiter, and head coach. His record over the last four years is one of the best in Michigan history for any coach's first four years at Michigan. Do any of us like losing to OSU? Of course not. Did getting embarrassed like we did by them yesterday hurt? Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that Coach Harbaugh is the future of Michigan football, and there was no one. I'd rather have as the head coach of this team. We will continue to get better and better. To paraphrase a famous quote, those who stay will be champions. Go Blue, Hail Michigan, forever, maize and blue. Now that's from Greg. Okay, he wrote that to me. Now here's another one. And, and, and this is the guy that you want to go and say, excuse me, but wake up. This is from Bob. And after the nice, wonderful comment that Greg wrote, Bob writes in, 
In my web page or on my Facebook page, that's all well and good. But after four years of his recruits, this is not good enough. This is Michigan. Either get it done or move on and let somebody else have a shot. Hey, Bob, who are you going to get? Let me ask you the question. Put you on the spot. Who are you going to get? Who checks all the boxes, okay, for the Michigan head football coach? And who doesn't? Jim Harbaugh checks all the boxes. Nobody else out there does. Who are you going to get? Come on. Who are you going to get? Give me somebody's name. Give me a name, Bob, because you don't have a name that matches Harbaugh's. You don't have one. You can go out there and say all you want, but when asked to put up or shut up, you can't put up. That's, that's for you, Bob. Now, Tom, maybe this is not the way to engage, huh? <laughs> I'm getting after these people. But anyway, this is kind of where I wanted to go with this because I'm told you've got to engage. Well, if you're going to write stuff like that to me, I get the opportunity to tell you exactly how I think, don't I? And I get to tell you in a way other than, you know, using my thumbs on my phone. I get to tell you with inflection and in my voice. Here's another one from Tom, and this is another good fan. This is what I'm hoping is out there, the majority. The loss sucked, but it's over and time to get ready for next season. Harbaugh has turned the program into one that expects wins. So they do need to beat OSU, but ultimately, it's all great entertainment. Win or lose, it really doesn't change my world. I gain nothing but smiles from a win, and I will get them next year. And get on with my day after a loss. I love U of M football. Great school, great team, great entertainment, and that's all. Harbaugh is the coach they need. No one else will fit as well, win or lose. Thank you, Tom. That, to me, is what the Michigan football fan and what responsible thinking about these kinds of things is all about. It's a football game. Yeah, I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. Nobody feels worse than I do. But Jim Harbaugh may. A lot of those players may. They went through winter conditioning in February to try to get things together and really knock it out. And guess what? They're really disappointed in that loss. But you know what? Next year comes along. It's a game, ultimately. They go to school. They graduate. They move on with their lives. They become fathers, teachers, uh, community leaders. Ultimately, that's what determines whether you have a successful group of kids in your program. Not how many times you beat Ohio State, okay? Let's go to the NFL real quickly, and then we'll get on to Angelique and talk a little bit more about this football game. On Thanksgiving Day, the Lions lost to the Bears 23-16. First of all, let me tell you what I did. For the first time in over 30 years, I actually went with my family and had turkey and dressing. It was great. I sat around. I ate too much. I was thinking about taking a nap, but I couldn't because I had to drive home from Jackson. But it was great. And I watched the game on TV. And I'll be honest with you, it was a great holiday for me, uh, not having to work the game, not having to you know fight the traffic downtown and uh, the parade traffic. So I just loved it. It was a great opportunity for me. Thanksgiving Day for me, that's what I did. If you're wondering after 30 years what I did on my Thanksgiving, I was just like all the rest of you. I ate turkey at home uh, during halftime. I got back to watch the finish and uh, was disappointed just like the rest of you and went, oh, no, here's the same old Lions. Part of the Lions game that bothered me, Chase Daniel is a journeyman quarterback, right? He's a backup to Trubisky at, at, at Chicago. And, and backups always beat the Lions. It just seems like that's kind of the way it happens. He goes 27 to 37. Doesn't throw a pick, has 230 yards passing and two touchdowns. And with six minutes to play, the game is tied at 16. And Matthew Stafford throws through two picks, one a pick six. He was sacked twice and a late pick in the end zone when the Lions were going to tie it up. And that wasn't Stafford's fault. I know all of you want to get rid of Stafford. And you know what? I'm at the point now where go ahead. You know, if you get rid of him, then start over. You're going to start over. I saw somebody out there say, yeah, let's trade him to Jacksonville for two draft picks and Blake Bortles. You want Blake Bortles? Come on. He's had three, four years down in Jacksonville and hasn't been able to do anything with maybe the best defense in the league. Now you want him to run this offense. I I, I don't get it, but that's what you want. You know what? Maybe you ought to get it. Maybe you ought to see how this franchise flounders with a Blake Bortles in there. You be the GM. See how it works. I think you will be greatly disappointed. But you know what? All you guys out there talking about this, you won't get fired. You won't lose your job. 
And two years after you get a new quarterback, you'll be telling everybody to get another one. That's really smart, isn't it? Anyway, I'm done with the Lions. <laughs> I, I, like all the rest of us, I'm done with the Lions. Next up, the Lions have the L.A. Rams. No comment. The best NFL game this season, okay? It was Monday night, the game two weeks ago, the Rams versus KC, 54-51 Rams. Now, here's a game where they score 105 points, okay? Yet, some of the key plays were defensive. That's why football's such a great game. Aaron Donald as a defensive lineman is just, he's an MVP. He and Khalil Mack are the two guys that are leading this league for the MVP in the, in, in the league for defense. 54-51, and yet that game, that game right there, showed that defense, even in a game like that, matters at key points in the game. I thought it was just great. Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes, the two quarterbacks, they're the future of the league at that position. Also in the AFC, I'm going to go over real quickly and give you what I think is going to go on in the AFC. It's a long way before the playoffs, but in the AFC, Kansas City, New England, the Chargers, Steelers, and Houston are all in there as the top five seeds, I think. Colts and Ravens are trying to join in but I don't think they're good enough. They won't get out of the first round. In the NFC, there's only two teams out there uh, that I see competing for the NFC championship, and that's New Orleans and the Rams. Uh, the rest of the pack is just kind of back there. The Bears are good, but you know what? I don't think they can play with the uh, the Rams or Saints. The Vikings, same way. Cowboys, they're just out there. The Panthers, you know, they, they can't get out of their own way. The Eagles and not Washington are uh, – in the NFC East, I just don't see anybody in the NFC being a real threat to the Rams or New Orleans. That's my look at the National Football League and the final say on Michigan-Ohio State. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll talk to Angelique Changelis about Michigan-Ohio State and get her take on uh, the fallout and the game itself. That's coming up next on The Brandy Show. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group. Tell your story. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Brandy Show. We are delighted, actually thrilled, and honored to have with us now the uh, newspaper beat writer for the University of Michigan Wolverine football team, Angelique Changelis. She is our college football expert. Angelique, first of all, happy holidays, and it's great to have you. You know you are the first repeat guest on The Brandy Show. You are big time. No, I think you're just desperate, Jim, right? You know you're, that's, that's why, you know, of, no, seriously, uh, kind of... <laughs> Angelique, that's why you're so perceptive and good at what you do. We were desperate <laughs> and we needed some help, but we called you to side and we got it. So oh, thank you so great. much. Thank you so, so much. Honored. <laughs> All right, let's go. We, I already have about a half an hour beating up on people in regards to the Michigan state, Ohio or Michigan, Ohio state game and the, uh, fallout from your perspective. And you you're really good at this. You've done it for years. Uh, what did you see? I mean, how do you take it? And are you as ready to, uh, quote unquote, bury the entire program uh, like so many others seem to be out there? Oh, no. I mean, come on, Jim. I'm 10 wins. I think that's hardly something that you, you just uh, cast aside and say, okay, the program's in shambles. It isn't. It, it still has some room to climb clearly i mean you know after a shellacking like that in columbus you you do you scratch your head and you wonder why and and you think i mean i actually think more about you know how do you how do you fix this how do you you know i you know i've been harping on the offensive coordinator thing since july right and that's that's where i kind of yeah that's one of the things i wanted to go where where to go with you is that you know we saw what happened i mean clearly they had high state had speed at receiver that we couldn't run with playing man-to-man uh, you have, you also have a theory. You say, you know, I think maybe Jim needs an offensive coordinator with a different set of eyes on how to run this offense. Go into that and where you think that needs to go. Well, and I've thought that since July, and I think you know that it got irritated every time I bring it up. And, you know, this collaborative process, and I understand that, and, and I always did understand where he was coming from. But um, And this is by no means me saying Jim Harbaugh doesn't get where the offense should go. I think he does have a have an idea, but I don't know that he is equipped to be the guy to be a head coach, to call plays, to shape this offense. He will have his fingerprints all over, but I think he needs someone to come in and make the play calls and to decide what direction this offense should go, 
what it can be. And, you know, I, I thought there was somebody on the staff before who would have been perfect for this. And in Jed Fish, a guy who the quarterbacks loved playing for. And, you know, it, it's just to me been a little bit of a mystery. You know, Pep Hamilton's there, but, you know, at one point I asked him early in who's calling plays and he said the Pep's calling most of them. But, um, you know, I don't think that it should be that, that, Ambivalent. I mean, ambivalent about it, and 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 so vague. I, I mean, I think you need one person in there. You got to. You're paying your assistants a lot of money, Jim, and um, you know, I think you need to have some more accountability in that sense. And and this is no. I, you know, I'm not just saying this was the offense on on Saturday. Certainly, Don Brown's defense laid an egg, and and you also have to consider there were injuries throughout the game on defense, and they were missing some key pieces, especially. Kevin Bush, the uh, the Big Ten's defensive player of the year now, newly newly elected, and um, but gosh, I mean, it's hard to explain a loss like that. It, I, it, you know, and I, 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 one thing, Jim, the other thing I hate is when people say, "Oh, they wanted it more." I, I can't stand no. that comment more than it because uh, you know what, everybody wants. To everybody wants game. it. Yeah, you know what? I think, and, and to be quite frank, that uh, at times it's as simple. Sometimes. It's like the Army. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, yeah, yeah. Ohio State played well. They were at home. They played up to their potential, which they hadn't done all year. And Michigan played poorly. And when you put those two together in that perfect storm, I think you can get 62 to 39. Am I yeah. just – I'm not just pieing the sky amazing blue-collar glasses on that, am I? No, no, absolutely not. And, and look, I mean, I know that Tim gets really frustrated with everybody – because the people say he doesn't look like he gets into it like Urban does, doesn't prepare for it. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he's – this is his focus, I'm sure. But I'd like to see at this point, you know, I'd like to see Jim pounding on the podium a little bit and being ticked off publicly. And, and instead he just says, well, we're in mourning and we're going to come back. And, and maybe that's his approach. I don't want him to be someone he's not. But sometimes you want to see a little bit more anger from him, a little more ferocity – and and he doesn't get that, and maybe that's just not who he is. But you know, that's one thing. Right. You watch Urban Meyer that week, and he is—it's all he talks about is the game and getting ready for this game. I think too, though, maybe he's that way at the podium in front of his team. He's not so much publicly, yeah. Because when he was that way publicly, and again, I go back to the whole deal after the Ohio State game two years ago, he ripped the officials and was extremely yeah. mad. Uh, he's got it in him to be there. There's that competitive spirit there that comes out. Uh, but I think, again, he is trying to kind of his image and make it into this thing. But the team knows where he's really coming from. And I think that's kind of what's going on right now. It's his Because he's been different this year than he was a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, he's, I think he's kind of making that choice of where does he want to go and be the head coach of the University of Michigan from a public persona standpoint. And I think it's somewhere in the middle between the guy that was post-game Ohio State two years ago and maybe the guy we saw this year. Let me ask you, Jim. I mean, you would know better than anybody. How would Bo have been after that game? He'd have been mad, but I think he'd have been measured too because, mm-hmm. hey, when you get your butt kicked, you get your butt kicked. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the last thing to do is to come out and say, oh, you know, you know we, we did that, you know, to make excuses. And, yeah, and, and when yeah. you do that, when you and I think Bo was was that way when he got beat, and, and there were times when he got beat, and I would do Michigan replay, and he would come into the studio afterwards, and I was expecting, you know, fire and brimstone, and he'd just you know sit down and he'd look at me and he go, you know, we're just not good enough. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and I think there are times where, as a coach, you got to be realistic. And Ohio State had more speed on offense in those four yeah. receivers. Uh, than than all but two of the Michigan defenders, and they yeah. found the matchup with Michigan safeties against speed receivers. And, and what does it go back to, though, Jim? It, it, it you know this offensive line was not a vintage no. line at Ohio State, but boy, they played like they were. Yeah, this was well, this that, was the, the best they played. That's right. The two things that happened: Michigan's defensive front didn't get any pressure. Michigan's offensive line allowed too much pressure. Mm-hmm. Those two things in the passing game hurt. Plus, I didn't think Shea was sharp. But again, I'm yeah. giving excuses. Yeah. That that doesn't change the result of the game. They had a game plan that I think exploited their strengths, and Michigan wasn't able to you know counter that. And that's countered sometimes with athleticism and recruiting. 
but yeah. from a standpoint, I mean, they scored 39 points, uh, and, and they didn't get benefit of a uh, blocked kick and a touchdown. So they scored 39 yeah. against one of the better teams in the country. So it's not like they laid down at all. Uh, and the old story that you said, they didn't want it. Uh, back to your point about Jim and you know the change maybe enough as a coordinator. He's shown that he's willing to do that because a year ago mm-hmm. he got – he he let Tim Drevno, a good friend of his, an offensive coordinator, uh, he cut him loose and then mm-hmm. kind of tried to do this offensive coordinator by committee thing. Uh, I think in the offseason, he's he's shown me anyway, and Angelique, you can you know talk to this, that he is pretty good at self-scouting and correcting the issues that may exist on that team to make it better. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. After that bowl game, he clearly knew something had to change, and the players talked about that team meeting they had shortly after the game, and and they, you know, they said what they needed to say, and, and Harbaugh was willing to listen to what they had to say, which is important, obviously, for a coach to listen to the players. But you know, I ran into him a couple months later, and I think it was at the Chad Tup uh, Dancing with the Stars, actually, and and we chit chatted for a little bit that night, Jim, and he said it was very difficult for him to to really kind of self-analyze, like, what did, what did he do wrong? Where, where, where does this need to change? And he said that was, that was tough on him, but he did it. And clearly thought that he needed to make changes and did, obviously brought in um, guys like Ed Warner and, and, and Herbert, the strength coach, and, and McElwain and Sharon Moore and Al Washington. And, you know, I think that, but, you know, I, I meant to mention Al Washington, but we're talking mostly about the offensive changes. And, you know, I, I think he's got to do that again. And, and you're right. He's capable of self-scouting and self-assessment. It's not comfortable for him, but that doesn't matter. It's not about his comfort level. It's about getting Michigan into the Big Ten championship game, into the national football playoff. They've been there twice now in that conversation. And that close enough is just not good enough. And, and he's got to see that there is something lacking. And, and like, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but to me, not having an offensive coordinator was glaring from the start. And I remember when I asked him about that again in July at the Big Ten meetings, and, you know, he said, I said, I, you know, he, he was thinking I didn't understand what he was trying to do with this collaborative process. And I certainly did, but I didn't understand why. And, he, and I said, look, you know, co- you know big time programs have offensive coordinators. He goes, no, there's some of that don't. So he felt like he, he was emboldened by the fact that there are some programs. I'm not sure which ones they are. They don't have offensive coordinators, but I think it's clear that they need someone up in the box making the play calls. And, and I'm not sure how much Cap Hamilton actually called. Um, but, you know, I think you can go back to the red zone offense and the Indiana game was very uncreative. And I think it's time that they, uh, again, not, like you said, not go full out to you know, spread offense, not more elements of that, Jim, because that's what you need in this era but, of, of football yeah, I think, against these defenses. I think, and we talked about this on the phone a little bit, but I think uh, a package, if you will, no huddle, up-tempo, yes. and a spread yes. look, something that you can do. Then you can go back and, hey, look, I love the fact that he's got three tight ends in the game. You've got to utilize a, a Gentry, a McCune, and a Eubanks. Those are great players. And, and Ben Mason yeah, is a Nico great player. Collins and Peoples-Jones. And, oh, I know. And certainly Tariq Black. These guys are, and you've got a quarterback who can't make plays. Right. Well, and, and I think the difference there is you look at and you see that the two Ohio State players had 60 receptions. And yeah. Nico Collins and uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones only had like 30 and 35 apiece uh, yeah. and, and after after 11 games. And, and I think you got to get those guys into the game a little bit more. Now they won ten games. Let's let's mm-hmm. let's make it everything clear that they're this isn't broke, okay? They're just some right. fine tuning that has to be done. And your comment about an offensive coordinator in the box calling a place, I think even more importantly is that different set of eyes on Monday through Thursday, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. working an offensive game plan or whatever uh, against another team and getting that set of eyes and then going the collaborative way. But but I think that guy Monday through Thursday could be as important as he is on Saturday from the booth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just I think that there are so many good pieces on offense at, at Michigan, and um, I mean, by no means am I an offensive coordinator, but it just seems like they could have worked them. They, they could, the puzzle was a little bit incomplete, uh, the, and and 
you know, the pieces are there, so make it more complete. And and I think that's what another set of eyes, to use your word, would would be very beneficial for this program. Okay, last question on the Michigan uh, Ohio State thing. And we talked about Jim self scouting and how difficult it was for him and how uncomfortable it was, but he's done it, and, yes. and I think that makes it a little bit easier for him as he goes forward because he did, I think, the most difficult thing last year uh, mm-hmm. with Drevno. Now he's done player moves before even in the pros he had to change alex smith to colin kaepernick uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. a popular decision but he made that decision and, and it worked out he went to the super bowl and and he's done some things like that so i think going forward and and again you and i both talked about maybe doing some of that self-scouting i think he can do it and will do it based on past performance do you agree or disagree Oh, I think he will. I, I think he knows it, that he has to make some changes. And I don't think you want to always shake up your staff, but I, mean, I think I think you've got to when, when it's, it's clear that, that some something has to change. And uh, you know what? And can, I, can I just say, I don't think it's a shake-up. Right, right. I, I think it's a – again, I go back to this. They won the 10 games. They, they beat Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State. They lost to Notre Dame by touchdown on the road, and mm-hmm. they had a bad game against Ohio State. So – Two teams with one loss between them are the two teams that beat him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. and I'm just saying that there's a tweak somewhere that I think can get this team to where I think it needs to go. But that tweak is up to Jim Harbaugh. But I think he can make it and will make it because I think, I think he's done it before. So I guess that's, that's, where mm-hmm. I wanted, that's what I wanted to finish on. No, I agree. All I right? totally agree okay. with you. All right, let's go. Uh, let's uh, do some scouting looking ahead. Um, national Championship. Alabama, Georgia in the uh, SEC title game. Uh, Clemson, yes. Pitt in the ACC title game. Oklahoma, Texas. Ohio State, Northwestern. One, two, three, four. Notre Dame doesn't play. But one, two, three, four are Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. What do you see after all of these games? Oh, by the way, uh, I think, too, we have to look at – everybody's talking about Ohio State and Washington, Utah, uh, but – Memphis is at number seven, UCF. Number seven, UCF, Central Florida. They've got a say in this, I think. So I want to include those guys. But one, two, three, four. At the end of Saturday, where do you think the four playoff guys are? Because something's going to happen between one and four with Alabama and Georgia playing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be that's going to be really interesting because that, that puts the Ohio State-Oklahoma debate really into play. I mean, I gotta. I mean, I, I'm gonna believe here. Let's, let's just say that Alabama beats Georgia, and um, now you got you got Georgia with two losses. And so, what happens with Oklahoma and Ohio State? I mean, that's the that becomes the big debate. Oklahoma plays Texas, and Ohio State plays Northwestern, and Texas is ranked 14th, and Northwestern's 23rd. Jim, so what becomes the more valuable win in these in these conferences? Well, again, people are and, talking. People are talking about style points. And, and yeah. if they're talking about style points, here's the deal. I think Ohio State has a better opportunity to rack up style points. If mm-hmm, they play as well mm-hmm. as they did last week against us, against Northwestern, they could put 70 on the board, okay? And that's yeah. and I don't put it past Urban Meyer to try to do that. I mean, he will. Yeah, if he I can mean, run it up, I think it? he will. Yeah, you would do it, right? Well, to put the style points on board to get yourself to number four. But, right. a, be- but a better win, in my opinion, is Oklahoma over Texas. Yes, I would agree. And Oklahoma, you could argue, has had the more consistent season, but Ohio State had a couple better wins, the Penn State win and, and the Michigan okay. win. But then Oklahoma's only lost by three to Texas, and Ohio State's and, and here, glaring. And, and here's – yeah, go ahead, go ahead, finish up. No, you're, you're getting me, you're getting me fired up here, Angelique. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Go yeah, ahead. because here's, like what, here's, the argu- here's the argument I hate, and then I think people out there ought to be slapped. Okay? <laughs> no. Really Everybody's saying, <laughs> I can't, I, I just don't understand. I don't think Oklahoma can play defense. Well, <laughs> guess what? Ohio State gave up 39 to Michigan, 51 right. to Maryland, and how many against an unranked Purdue team? Uh-huh. So don't uh-huh. tell me that Ohio That's State right. is this defensive juggernaut. I'm sorry. <laughs> that doesn't wash. Oh my gosh! Aren't I fun when I get class. this way? Aren't I fun when I'm like this? Yes, you are. Gosh, <laughs> I mean, 
I feel I feel bad for Robbie when, when you get like this. Believe oh me. my god, you no, she, so much fun. You home. know what she does? She goes upstairs and turns on the Hallmark Christmas channel. That's what she does. And and then she doesn't come down until she hears the, 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 the banging on the countertops finish. Then she comes down, asks me if I want some chocolate pudding. <laughs> okay, so oh so so what yeah. do you think? If if Ohio State and Oklahoma both win, who's number four? Mm-hmm. And we assume Alabama beats Georgia. Wow, this is tough. I mean, I've sort of, from the beginning, thought, oh, yeah, Ohio State will go in as Big Ten champion, but this is a tough one because of that, because of their resumes. And But I think that, you know, I'm assuming they beat Northwestern handily. That's two big wins at the end of the season, so I think you give the edge to Ohio State. But i got to tell you, Jim, in the elevator at Ohio Stadium last week going down um, for the postgame, there were some of the old uh, old timers from Ohio State in there saying, "I don't really know if we want to go to the playoffs and play Alabama." Ugh. Exactly. So, um, no, yeah, that, there is that. Uh, 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 no, I, I, like, you want to get your butt handed to you by Alabama? Exactly. Here's the other one. Exactly. I think if, if Georgia beats Alabama, all this goes away because Alabama is not falling out of the top four. Right. If, if Georgia right. beats Alabama, Clemson goes one. Georgia, I think, goes yep. three. Notre Dame two. Uh, and Alabama four, which puts you at Clemson, Alabama in the semifinals. But what if what if Alabama blows out Georgia and Ohio State loses to Northwestern and Texas beats Oklahoma? I know. Guess who's back in the mix? (laughs) Because (laughs) Washington and Utah is not going to be there. Notre Dame's idle, so they're in. And and then does UCF come back into the play if, if if because they lost their quarterback? I mean, the committee. Ah, that's the thing. I know that reminds you of Michigan Ohio State years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, with uh, Denny the Franklin. Vote. Yeah, the Denny Franklin yeah. vote. That's tough. I, I mean, I'm sure that's something that they have to consider. I think so, too. Anyway, we're going to find out this coming time. Angelique, you know what fun you are? You're just a kick. Oh, gosh, Tim, you are. Oh, stop it. You know, you know. You know you want to say something ugly to me, but because we're on a podcast. No, I don't. Because we're on a podcast, no, like you're too. holding. No, you've, you're in the holiday spirit. <laughs> Go make some baklava. How's your mom doing, by the way? Is she okay? She's doing well. She's back in Cincinnati Is for she? a little bit. I'll go pick her up again for Christmas. Good so. deal. Yeah. Has she? Uh, who's her favorite for the champion, the national championship? You know what? I haven't asked her yet, but I bet she would say Alabama. She likes Nick Saban. Yeah, but, I know. You know. Yeah. Well, she because she, she likes the front runner. Yeah, she and a million other people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, listen, uh, I'll see you. I know, but uh, yes. publicly here on our podcast, uh, happy holidays. Great to have happy you aboard, holidays, and uh, it's a joy to have you around. And these football games don't ever leave. Thank you, Jim. Likewise, I appreciate right. it. That's happy an- holidays. I appreciate it. You too. That's Angelique Chengelis, writer for the Detroit News, one of our dear friends, and and fun Ooh. to have on our podcast. All right, real quickly, let's get to our trivia too deep. The night, the 2000 Michigan starting offense. This was the last team that beat Ohio State and Columbus. Wide receivers, David Terrell and Marquise Walker. Ron Bellamy was also out there and Rudy Smith. Up front, offensively, Jeff Backus was left tackle. Steve Hutchinson was left guard. Both of them went on to play in the NFL for many years. David Brandt, center. Ben Mass, right guard. Maurice Williams was the right tackle. Uh, Sean Thompson, Bill Seymour, and Benny Japru were the tight ends. The running backs were Anthony Thomas, Walter Cross, Justin Fargus. Fullback B.J. Askew and the quarterback of that team in 2000 that beat Ohio State, the last Michigan team to beat Ohio State in Columbus, was none other than Drew Henson. That's our trivia too deep for this week. Now our facts, legends, and lore. How about spinning the cube for luck? Have you ever heard about that one on the campus of Ann Arbor? The cube, as everybody calls it, is one of the most popular spots on campus for a photo op. It's a sculpture built by UM alumnus Bernard Tony Rosenthal. It weighs one and a half tons, and it spins on its axis on one of the points of the cube. It's said that spinning the cube brings good luck, and the president of the university spins the cube to start the day every morning on his way to work. At least that's the lore. We don't know whether that truly happens. But it is said that if you spin that cube, and it's right outside West Quad and near the Michigan Union, students and alumni both love to pose for pictures there next to the cube and spin it while they're there. If you give it a spin, who knows? You might get good luck. Wolverines 
Might have done that this past week before they left for Ohio State. Gotten a little better luck. But that's facts, legends, and lore. Okay, ready for our holiday recipe today? On the Brandy Show, you just get everything. Here is a recipe for a great appetizer for the holidays. you got people that come over and show up late, and you kind of need something to put together. Well, you can make this, put it in the freezer, and you have hot, really, really good hors d'oeuvres in 15 minutes. Here's what it is. It's called the sausage rounds. You take a pound of ground beef breakfast sausage that's mild, a half a pound of breakfast sausage that's the hot variety, You take some Italian seasoning, Velveeta cheese, and cocktail-size rye bread rounds. They're little cocktail-size rye breads. What you do is you mix the hot and the mild sausage together, and you brown it in a deep pan. And you add Italian seasoning to taste. Then you drain off the grease. And then you keep it warm, and you add little chunks of the Velveeta cheese, and you stir it off until you mix the cheese in fully with the sausage, okay? And when it's fully mixed, you take your cocktail rounds, your little rye cocktail rounds, and you put a spoonful, generous spoonful, of the sausage and cheese mix on that piece of cocktail rye and place it on a cookie sheet to cool. Now, when you get a cookie sheet filled up, you put it in the freezer, okay? And then when you're done, you have maybe two cookie sheets in there, depending upon how uh, much you put on these cocktail rye rounds. And then when it's frozen, you take them out. You put them in a baggie, and you leave them in the freezer. When somebody comes over and you need an appetizer, you take them out of the bag. Pick how many you want. You need 10? Take 10 out. Then you place it in a preheated oven at 325 for 15 minutes and serve. It's a really good hot hors d'oeuvre for Christmas that you can pull right out of the freezer, and it's done quickly. You can also microwave these for a minute and a half on your microwave on high. That depends upon the microwave and its wattage, but that's your holiday Sausage rounds, a great appetizer that you can make ahead of time, put in the freezer, and knock out when you need them if somebody comes over unannounced. Thanks for joining us on the Brandy Show. Now, we're going to have a little hiatus. It's easy for you to say. We're going to have a little hiatus now. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We don't know what, but keep track of us on our um, Facebook page at Jim Branstetter 76 okay? And we'll let you know when the next Brandy Show is coming up. But it'll involve the bowl game and the national championship and all that other stuff uh, after all these big uh, conference championship games that we, uh, we're we going to play this weekend. So make sure you look ahead on our Facebook page. We'll tell you when the next Brandy Show is coming up. If you come across our Brandy Show uh, show and you come across our Facebook page, Jim Bradstetter 76, do us a favor and like it. If you like it, uh, that means the people that I'm working for think that's a good thing. I don't know. I don't get it. I'm not a social media guy. But you can also follow us on Twitter, at Jim Brandstetter. I don't get that either, but go ahead and do it. And you want to turn into Inside Michigan Football, Sunday mornings at 1030 on Channel 7 in Detroit. Keep your eye on your local listings because our bowl special will be coming up soon. Special thanks to the folks at Podcast in Detroit for technical help each week. And thanks to Zing Media Group's Kathleen Stevens, our producer. Uh, that's the Brandy Show for now. Don't forget, keep an eye on our Facebook page, Jim Brandstetter 76, for our next Brandy Show date. In the meantime, everybody have a great holiday season, and we'll talk to you around the first of the year.